Happy Sunday, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode from the Isle of Dr. Garno. I'm Kelly J. Lewis from my own island, and we are calling in to the Isle of Dr. Garno with Dr. Chris Garno. How are you, Dr. Garno? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Um, let's see, what are, I think we're on three weeks now of social distancing or self-quarantining or whatever. I think uh, I, I sometimes hear people use the word quarantine. I think quarantine means that you're ill and you're trying not to spread it. So I guess social distancing, I don't want to confuse that. I'm gen, gen, genuinely okay. Um, but, you know, playing it safe and doing what everybody's supposed to be doing. And uh, it, it's been interesting just kind of watching I have an app on my phone where I watch the numbers um, of new infections that go state by state, uh, because here in the United States, it's different than other countries. Um, and, and, you know, other countries have some regions that had uh, higher infection rates and some with lower. But what's unique about the United States is our, fed, our federal system makes it so that the, the federal government has, you know, the, the president can go on the news and say, okay, we're doing social distancing until whatever date, but then you have the system where states have their uh, kind of their own rules and have their own jurisdiction. And then even within that, you have mayors and counties and cities. And so I bought state-by-state data to just see the different cultures and distancing norms and where uh, virus spreads more quickly and where it spreads more slowly and uh, it's as a sociologist, while I, I, I appreciate the gravity and the seriousness of the virus, at the same time, it's, it's a way to kind of uh, model human behavior and also be able to see how cultures impact these things, because it is really interesting. That was my cat giving her two cents. <laughs> Yes, yeah, I thought that was a cat. <laughs> I'm on her chair. No, no, it's it's funny because this is a thing. Like where I have my my home studio set up, she, this is her day spot. Apparently, this is the chair that she usually naps in. And so the past couple of days that I've been home, she is not happy. <laughs> not having it at all. No. But, you know, that's an interesting point, and let's talk about that. Are you seeing the numbers kind of increase here in the Bible Belt because we're taking so few precautions? You know, it's it's a state-by-state basis, but, you know, Oklahoma has actually been one of the states that has been increasing kind of rapidly. Um, other states, not as much, but it, in, in general, in the Bible Belt, it is the transmission rate. It's fairly strong. Uh, the transmission rate... Uh, is strong in New York City as well, but that's really because of uh, being the epicenter and also there are a lot of people close together. It wouldn't make as much sense for the South to have as much spread if if it were just based off of population, though, because while there are fairly populated areas, like here in Oklahoma, there are also a lot of uh, of very rural areas. And it's I I read a thing the other day that said that rural, uh, rural America is probably lulled into a false sense of security for a couple of reasons. One of them uh, is just the, the key feature, and, and this is how it is back where I come from too, which is that there's just so much land between people. It's really easy to find country. It's really easy to, like, it's easier in Chickasha, Oklahoma, to distance yourself six feet from another person than it is in New York. So there's that false sense of security that comes along with that, uh, and that it may be that rural America gets hit a lot harder later, but there's also kind of this 
culture of I almost call it like a a, a diso, like a willful disobedience culture. Like if and where I come from in Montana, specifically parts of Montana, you see that very very vividly and kind of that libertarian streak, which is if the government tells me not to do it, I'm gonna you know that kind of thing. Um, and so there's a little bit of that, like don't tread on me. Uh, that we're seeing uh, that's coming out of southern states and the Bible Belt as well. But yeah, I do think there's a little bit of both of those elements that are going on. Just from here in the Chickasha community and the Anadarko community, and of course there's a lot of Indians in the Anadarko community who, who do not care what the federal government has to say or any of their suggestions. But I mean, yeah, nobody's, okay. nobody's slowed down. Nobody yeah, and, has and, and, slowed down that's a really good point. And, and that brings up something sociologically too. So you have some people who might disregard what the government says because, you know, um, they, they have kind of a libertarian streak in them and they just, they, they don't want to have their freedoms taken away, um, by the government. And so those are the, the folks sometimes that get kind of stereotyped as hanging out on their, their front door with their guns, waiting for the government to come take them away, that kind of thing. But then there are also groups like you were bringing up, uh, American Indians from probably across, you know, all tribes, all affiliations, all parts of the country, um, who also have a pretty legitimate reason to not trust the government. Let's throw African Americans in there for other reasons as well. Uh, you know, it, this is this is the challenge of democracy and the challenge of a federalist system and a federal government. Is, and, and in some ways, this is why you know when when people say, well, what is it? Why why do why does it matter? You know. Barack Obama, they, they call it the apology tour. He apologized to other countries. He apologized to Americans for past things. You know, it, it took many years before uh, Japanese Americans got any kind of recognition for the internment camps during World War II, you know, and, and, and making up these kinds of things because there are groups that legitimately have a reason not to trust the federal government. And I'm not saying that, you know, that we shouldn't, we definitely should be social distancing. I'm just saying for those who are not, you know, the, what the government says and how we treat history matters. I want to get your opinion on the Trump base of evangelicals and their noncompliance, shall we say, to everything. And then the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, came up and said, okay, no, no gatherings, you got to follow these guidelines, except for churches. Yeah, so churches occupy this really weird space, and this is where the South gets tricky. Um, so the United States is kind of unique from other countries that have a Christian majority in that we have the very first amendment of the Constitution, number one, right out of the gate, right in the, right in the Bill of Rights, number one, um, has in there, you know, the... Uh, not to recognize any religion, no, you know, no state-sanctioned religion. So we have a separation of church and state that is very legally and politically unique. And what that means is that the government has really, and, and it has benefited religion. I know a lot of churches, they abhor uh, separation of church and state, but the separation of church has really benefited the churches, not the state. Um, churches are able to flourish because the government just kind of keeps its hands out meaning we don't tax churches. That's kind of a weird thing when you think about how big of a moneymaker some of these are. You know, like Joel uh, Osteen has to sell tickets uh, to his megachurch 
So it's, it's they're big money makers. So when they don't get taxed, I mean, that's, a, that's enormous. Um, and that's assuming that churches are doing, you know, philanthropic work or doing, you know, work for the poor. And most of them do, but um, it, it's just this weird thing that we do. So then you get this thing happening in Florida where it's like, but we can't have these big gatherings, but unless you're gathering for Jesus and it's, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a magical thinker. I'm a scientific thinker. I'm a rational thinker. And you have, um, a lot of religious people that are saying God will protect us. It's more important to, uh, to adhere to God's law, these kinds of things. Um, and so that, I, I, when you hear about these stories in Louisiana, they're having really bad, uh, COVID outbreaks. Um, and, their numbers are pretty astonishing for how small the state is. You know, you had pastors that were uh, just kind of almost kind of giving the middle finger to the, you know, the CDC's recommendations saying, well, we're going to do this for God. And it's weird how varied that response is. Cause I was listening to, uh, uh, forgive me here, but I was listening to Ben Shapiro the other day. Uh, Cause I, I find his counter argument kind of interesting. He can sometimes be fairly rational. And other times I just like have to roll my eyes at what he says, but he's an Orthodox Jew. And he was talking about, you know, it, within within the Orthodox Jewish community, like, you you need to go to temple. Like, that's a, an important thing. And, and his synagogue is, is shut. And he says that this is not the time to be following that law. That, you know, if, if you are a person of faith, that, that God is more... God is, is, is more intelligent than that to, you know, like, don't, don't assume to know what God's dictums are for us. Uh, it, it, it's interesting within the Christian community, you're seeing, I think most pastors being like, look, this is not, you know, you have to, you have to be able to use some thought too. But the, the, the hardcore evangelical contingency that you're talking about, it is kind of this magical protection, if you want to think about it that way, that maybe there's going to be some kind of protection. But then again, in the news, I saw the other day, there was a pastor who was kind of spouting this stuff off, but now tested positive. So obviously that's not working. Well, and I remember that part in the Bible where Jesus preached the uh, prosperity doctrine. Yeah. I, I remember that. It's underlined in my Bible. And it's it, it kind of weird. Um that you get this response, and, and maybe the, the, it's the rebelliousness of the South. I don't know what it is, but the South in particular, you're seeing these uh, these rates kind of rise in some of these places. Georgia, I wanted to talk about this, but the governor of Georgia, it was yesterday, just yesterday, went on national TV, and because it was playing all around social media, and the dude is like, um, we didn't know, or he, he's saying we, he, he meant I. He's saying, uh, we didn't know that, you know, you could, uh, you could pass this stuff being asymptomatic. So gosh, who, who knew, like you, you could be passing this thing and not even know it. And, and like the entire country hit their forehead with their helmets. <laughs> like he, he, he lives in Atlanta. That's where the CDC is. And so, yeah, the South has some issues. And I do want to say for Oklahoma, and this isn't to scare people, but we have we are tied with a few other states for having the highest death rate um, of COVID-19. I looked today, we have almost 1,000 cases and 38 deaths, um, which is a, about a 4.2 rate death rate, which is fairly high. And, you know, just to kind of shift the politics locally real quick, um, that rebellious rebelliousness that, you know, like, I'm not going to do what the government tells me, that's definitely here in Oklahoma, too. 
I think it's probably more rampant here in Oklahoma because we are the buckle of the Bible Belt. And our people here just have a apathetic attitude towards it. And you can tell by how close everybody continues to be in the stores, how everybody continues to treat their grocery store trips as a family event. I just saw a family walking down my street today. Just a whole family just kind of walking down the street doing their own thing. Like, like okay, well, maybe they do have some place to go, but there's five of them just walking down the street. I mean, not social distancing, not I, – I just – I don't know, and, I guess. And, and the recommendations for those that don't know, the recommendations are that, you know, if you have to go out and go shopping because those things are necessary um, – to try to keep enough in, in your house for a week so that you're not, you know, making more than weekly trips. And so my, my weekly trip was yesterday and I think I'm going to start doing um, uh, online ordering of groceries here soon. But I was, I I have kind of a local market that has a self checkout close to me. It's uh, not terribly popular. I'd say it's a kind of a smaller grocery store. And so I'm able to kind of get through without encountering others and, uh, you know, people might think my measures are kind of extreme, but I have two people in my home with asthma. And so, you know, my trip entails me uh, wiping down the grocery cart, getting the stuff. And then as soon as I get home, um, I, I leave anything that's cardboard and plastic that can be left in my car. It just stays in my car for a few days because it takes three days uh, to kill the virus on plastic surfaces. And the stuff I need to take in right away, I wipe down. Um, using uh, some, you know, any kind of like you can really do it with any kind of disinfectant or any kind of soap, even like soapy water will work um, before I put it away. And some people might think that's extreme, but at the same time, it's like you know, we're, for if you have someone in the home that has uh, an underlying condition that can be exacerbated by COVID nineteen, it's kind of a scary thing. But I, I did want to get to this point too, which is that the general sentiment that, that I that I've heard from those who are maybe not as worried by this thing or feel like the government is overreaching is they'll say, well, look, I I'm willing to take that risk for my own freedom. Why shouldn't I be able to take that risk for my own freedom? Um, and I think that is definitely part of Oklahoma culture. And it's especially part of the American individualism experience, which is, um, an idea of me rather than an idea of we. So people that think me, are like, well, I don't care if I get it, but that's not the point. Even if you get it, that's okay. If you want to take the risk and get yourself fine, but the, the problem is those people are also the people, like you said, that are likely to be out in public, you know, patting people on the back and, you know, getting right up in their face and doing that kind of stuff too. Well, and at church, okay, so you got to go back and listen to our podcast about the drive-in worship etiquette. It's a thing in Ohio, and oh. it gives you this etiquette of how to worship when you're at this drive-in theater. You know, it's pretty hilarious, but it's the government's not telling churches they can't have services. That's not it. It's not the government saying, you can't meet, you can't pray, you can't X, Y, and Z. They're saying not to have it publicly. What's wrong with the church having a YouTube channel or a live Facebook thing or something else like that? Why do they have to meet in person? 
I mean, doesn't you know God I, know that they're meeting virtually, two or three meeting virtually in his name? I think, honestly, I, I don't even know if it's that much. Here, here's my, my personal view on this, because it does tend to be evangelical churches. So you have to look at, like, which churches. So as, as I mentioned before, uh, synagogues are closing down. You've got Catholic churches that are closing down. Uh, there, I don't think there are probably any, any Episcopalians that are still meeting in person. So you have to look at which churches are still doing this. And it, it gets down to this evangelical subculture. And I, I think it, it comes in, in, in this, this sort of prepackaged flavor uh, that you can see within Liberty University. So Liberty University um, is an evangelical university that, for those of you that don't know, it's, uh, uh, they said, come on back, come back to campus. Hey, kids, come on back. And, like, it's so incredibly irresponsible but part of it is, and I think this, it's the merging of the Republican Party. Really, we started seeing this in the early 90s, the merging of the Republican Party with evangelical Christianity to where today, and someone can correct me on this if they want, I have evangelical friends who are a little bit on the left side, but they're very few and far between. It's almost a prerequisite if you're going to be an evangelical Christian in America that you also have to be a Republican or you have to be politically conservative. And to be a Republican right now is to fall in line with this anti-government ideology, which is so dumb because, I mean, yes, like and Trump definitely did the wrong thing immediately by uh, casting seeds of doubt, by being overly optimistic, by not taking proper precautions, by spreading this idea that it was a liberal media hoax, all this stuff. But now he's saying, uh, no, we need to shut things down until at least the end of April. And I don't know if, 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 if Republicans and evangelicals are seeing that as wink-wink or why they're not listening to their great leader now, uh, but they, they still have this, this weird rebelliousness streak. But I really do think it's that. It's that evangelical Christianity seems to be so tightly interwoven with Republican identity that they're almost indistinguishable. It, it's almost like it's a prerequisite. In order to, in order to be a, a Southern Baptist these days, you almost have to be a Republican. That is completely true, and you have to be pro, pro-life. You have to make sure that you're, you know, outwardly following the Ten Commandments <laughs> anyway, except for the prosperity doctrine. Yeah. That's commandment number 11 that Mo- Moses must have dropped that one on the way down. But <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's talk about Trump telling the states, well, you got to— get your own masks and you got to get your own emergency equipment and you don't 30,000 ventilators. What do you need that for? And then Jared Kushner coming on TV yesterday and like, don't ask us for anything because he embedded a bunch of people in FEMA, his own people. And then, okay. So States get out there, get your own stuff. The national stockpile isn't for you, but the Trump administration and the federalities are outbidding the States for this medical equipment. Oh, it's, so this is one of the biggest messes. I mean, if you look at the way that they're reporting this stuff, and the president has the president has said that the, the weirdest stuff lately. Uh, well, that's not new. Um, it's 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 in response to this crisis. So immediately it seemed like he wasn't doing anything, and then he got real serious when he figured out this was a serious thing. And now he's just in damage control mode, where it's all about him. He has the, the contentiousness that he's had with the governors. So let's just look at some of the things that he said. He's basically said to, to Andrew, Cuomo, uh, uh, 
uh, Andrew Cuomo and others. Wait, uh, is it Andrew Cuomo? Yes. Yes, Andrew Cuomo. There we go. It's his brother that's a newscaster. Okay. Yeah. I was confused the two. Um, so basically said, look, if you're not going to be nice to me, I'm not going to help you. Like, that's a prerequisite. So the, the people of New York or Michigan, he won't even call the Michigan, Michigan governor by her name. He calls her that woman from Michigan, uh, the failed Jay Inslee from Washington. Like, he's got all these weird... So basically, like, if they don't kiss his butt, he's not going to help them. So does that mean that people in Michigan and Washington and New York State deserve to die because their governor isn't a Republican? I mean, that's almost the way that it, that it sounds. So if he makes it personal. He makes it about himself. He makes it petty, like a child does. Um, or if they're not glorifying him at all times, uh, they don't get attention. Then we have this repeating thing over the past two weeks where Trump gets on the, in front of the cameras every day, does this news press conference every day, and you listen to him say some incorrect things, and then Dr. Anthony Fauci, who has worked for every administration since Reagan as an epidemiologist, gets on the mic and then politely and quietly corrects the president and then says the real things, and then, you know, America listens in. So, and then Trump makes his declaration that Fauci wasn't going to be talking all the time anymore because he's stealing his thunder. Then Donald Trump decides he's going to, you know, uh, uh, put some blame on the Democrats for the, 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 the stimulus package, um, basically by saying that, well, and this was the, the craziest one I heard. Uh, they wanted to put something in the bill that would make it easier to vote. And if you make it easier to vote, no Republican will ever win again. Which basically is like the thing you're not supposed to say. I think at that point, Mitch McConnell was like looking at the TV going, you weren't supposed to say that. (laughs) It's been a mess, but you're right. And here's what he said. He's like, first off, I take no accountability. And states, you're on your own. So you have states bidding against each other for ventilators, of which there are not enough. Um, You know, Trump finally has kind of gotten around to um, using his executive order powers to force GM and other com- companies to uh, to make these ventilators. But then the question is, how much are these things going to cost? Because even the stockpiles, like they, I just saw this yesterday, they, they started releasing some of the ventilators from the stockpile. Some of them are broken or have missing components. So we are just insanely underprepared for what they say is going to start happening Right around Easter in New York, all hell is going to break loose. And so if we don't get this camp down by the time that happens, Trump is going to have a very hard time containing this. And I almost wonder if what he's doing, and this isn't like a conspiratorial thing, this is just looking at how the guy operates. I almost wonder if he isn't throwing this to the state so that he doesn't have to take accountability. Because if he doesn't, if, if, if he doesn't, doesn't say it's the federal government's job to step in and do this thing, if things go bad, if he says, look, it's up to the states, then he can just put this back on the governors. He can go back to Cuomo and say, oh, look, Cuomo messed up. I told him it was up to him to figure it out. Well, and gosh, here's the issue I have with that is that our governor wholly kisses his butt. Holy does that and is in lockstep with the Trump doctrine and the administration and everything. And he hasn't asked for anything or, you know, requested aid in spite of our growing, rapidly growing numbers. Yeah. And it's, I think part of that too is if you don't make a big deal out of it, people won't freak out. And clearly you're right. Um, Stitt and Trump have, some definite things in common. One of the things that we see politically 
is that pro-business idea. Um, it was kind of elected with the same, you know, um, I guess the same moxie that Trump did. You know, the people that like the idea that he came from a business background were those that were heavily in support uh, of Kevin Stitt. So I think they kind of have the same political and business DNA, which says that, you know, we're, we're going to, let's not do anything that could harm the economy, that could harm business until we absolutely have to. The problem with that, and this has to do with any kind of preparation, is, you know, in, in maybe in the business world that works. Maybe you can um, just kind of call a board meeting real quick by the seat of your pants and try to uh, correct course or adjust, you know, as things start to get bad. When it comes to public health, this is a totally, when it comes to the public and, and the government in general, it's a totally different ballgame because preparedness in itself just means that you have to be ready for things before they happen. So with a virus like this that spreads, that does, that, that means that's asymptomatic, it, it's, it's really important to understand that it takes, a, you know, it, it takes some foresight and being able to see you know, two miles down the road before you make an action. And I think, you know, Spit, Trump, and others that kind of have the same, you know, political DNA, that's not kind of built into their system. Like, their system isn't built for that. It's, look, we need to keep the economy strong. Uh, I, I'm sure Spit is concerned about what's happening with oil and gas prices right now. I just saw some pictures the other day showing that gas prices were, were under a dollar in Oklahoma, which you know, for someone like me who doesn't work in oil and gas, that sounds really good until, you know, we factor in that I have a public job and that public job is largely funded by the state as do, you know, many other Oklahomans. So our fortunes kind of live and die by, you know, how things go with the oil and gas company so and uh, in, in industry. And so I think Spitz probably keeping his eye on that um, pretty closely and trying to balance those things out. But you're right, there is kind of this, Still, it, it feels like a resistance because Oklahoma is one of the few states that doesn't have a statewide shelter in place. We have social distancing, but we don't have shelter in place. And shelter in place says that aside from all necessary things that you need to be doing, you just stay at home. And most of the states in the country have shelter in place. Oklahoma does not. Oklahoma City does. Tulsa does. Um, Norman does. But And I'm sure there are other cities. Um, but you know, it, it's not a statewide thing. And, and like I was saying before, that's the weird thing that sets us apart is that we have local governments and municipalities that can make their own rules. And it's when, when, when you make your own rules with it, I mean, that works for something, but it doesn't work for a virus because it, I saw a meme the other day and it, it's you know, uh, slightly off color, but here you go. Um, saying that we're going to have shelter in place in some states and not in others is like saying, we're going to have the peeing section of the pool. You know, like yeah. If you're going to pee in the pool, pee, pee over there, not over here. You know, it just doesn't work that way. And it won't get on me at all if I stay over here. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so let's talk in the last couple of minutes that we have about what shall we do within the next couple of weeks? I mean, because now that it seems like it's going to hit us really hard, the, the, the peak is going to be in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, this this is the time right now to have the game plan in place. And this is why, as a state, I hope we have some kind of game plan in place, which is where can we get ventilators? How many ventilators do we have? How many beds do we have? 
Um, I was looking at an interesting website, and it said that there actually are a lot of states that are pretty prepared. So um, that they've been able to model using statistical models, which I appreciate, um, figuring out how many beds they're going to need, how many ICU beds they're going to need, and how many ventilators they're going to need. A lot of states are actually covered. There are some states that are doing well. Other states, we don't know. So Oklahoma, when I looked at that one, Oklahoma was kind of a question mark. It looked like we probably had enough hospital beds. In terms of ICU beds, we don't necessarily know. So that's something that the state, you know, planners have to get on top of is do we have those things in place? But the other thing, and I think this is maybe just even as important because I have uh, family and friends that work in the medical industry, is we really got to get our act together and making sure we have enough masks, specifically gloves, but specifically masks for healthcare workers, because if they fall sick in the next couple of weeks, this thing is going to get way out of hand. That is absolutely right. Well, Dr. Garneau, thank you so much for uh, letting us call in again. And uh, you guys be safe there on the Isle of Garneau. For our listeners, don't forget, if you miss any of our interviews, you can catch up with those wherever you get your podcasts, or you can go to the Talk Jive homepage and click the podcast link. I'm Kelly J. Lewis with Dr. Chris Garneau from the Isle of Dr. Garneau. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a great day.